Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I'm not here today to give you instructions uh, or advice. Um, I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit. What I want to do today is encourage us to remember. Um, it's, it's so clearly in the Old Testament um, that the Israelites forgot who God was. In Judges, I think every chapter in Judges starts off with the Israelites again forgot who God was and they, you know, sinned in the eyes of the Lord. I think it's so important for us to just remember, remember who God is, remember where he's brought us from, remember his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness towards us. The word remember in Greek is namai. There's a silent M at the beginning of that word, but it means to to uh, actively remind yourself. And I, I think of that word actively, and my mind immediately goes to exercise. And uh, exercise isn't always fun, you know, but it's a great discipline to have, and the benefits are great. Um, but that's the same thing when we want to actively remind ourselves, when we want to remember. We have to get disciplined so that we can remember, because it's so easy to forget. It is so easy for to forget um, God pulling you through or a miracle or, or a great act of God happening in your life. And then, you know, two months later, you got a bill you can't pay for. And you're like, where's God? Where's God in this? You know, and it's we have to we have to remember. We have to remind ourselves who God is. So that's my that's my goal today is to just stir it up. I, I'm not trying to give you guys anything new. I just want to help you all remember. We're going to go through some verses, and I hope these um, will encourage you, and I hope they will help you remember uh, certain times when, uh, when God has continued to show you his faithfulness in your life. Um, I think it's important to remember that Jesus is our solution in all ways, all the time. That's it. Jesus is the solution. A lot of people, a lot of people will go to churches and um, they'll look for explanations. And that's tough. And I don't want to. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I want to keep this lighthearted. But uh, an explanation isn't going to pull you out of your problem. A solution is. If if you're in the middle of a river, you don't need an explanation on how you got in the middle of the river. You need a solution on how to get out, right? In, in, cha in John chapter 9, I love this story. The disciples are looking for an explanation from Jesus. When they come across a blind man who's been blind since birth, and uh, they immediately start looking for an explanation. Jesus, did this man sin? That he was born blind? Did his parents sin? Ancestors sin? Jesus explained to us why this man is blind. And Jesus is not interested in the explanations. He's interested in the solution. And the solution is, I'm going to heal him. 
I'm going to heal him. He was, he was born this way so that the works, and the, 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 the works of God may be manifest in his life. And I'm going to work those works while it's daytime because nighttime is coming when no man can work. So what he's saying is we don't have, we don't have time to, to ask why, 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 why. We've got time to, to heal. We've got time to do the works right now. And so the solution is Jesus. He inserts himself and changes the trajectory of that man's life forever. So today, uh, I know I was joking around earlier, but we are going to talk about repentance. <laughs> uh, I want to go through a few core things just to review um, repentance, listening, identity, and then we're going to close with uh, what I like to call the eternal now. Uh, so we're going to start with repentance. And that word, to me, growing up... Um, in somewhat of a legalistic setting, it bears a real negative, you know, uh, connotation to it. It's, when you think of the word repent, you think of apologize. I mean, I may, I may be the only one, but uh, you hear the word repent and you're thinking, I gotta say sorry, I've gotta grovel, I've gotta, it, it, it just, it's one of those things where you're like, I need to feel guilty. I need to feel guilty in order for me to properly have repented. And it wasn't until a couple years ago that I, I realized that that word just means to change your mind. This is review. I know all of you know this, but um, like I said, I just want to encourage us to remember. Repent means to change your mind. That's it. That's all. I keep seeing these signs everywhere. There's one at like Fishers, and there's one on Highway 54, and it says, repent, Jesus is coming, and uh Man, I kind of want to put a sign right above that that says, repent, Jesus is here, right? All that sign says is, change your mind, Jesus is coming. And I think people read that, and they see that word repent, and they're like, oh, I've got to apologize because Jesus is coming. And it's like, he's, he's already here. He's already here. Change your mind about that fact, that he's here. So we're going to start. I... Um, this is how I marked all the scriptures I'm going to read today. I could have used my phone. I, I'm sure I uh, could have had them put up on here, but we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. So we're going to start off um, in Luke chapter 23, um, and uh, we're going to read about the criminal on the cross. I, I did want to say that repentance begins with seeing and experiencing Jesus, experiencing Jesus for who he is. It's as simple as that. True repentance is seeing and experiencing Jesus for who he is. That's, that's what changes your mind. Not, not information. Not information about him, but an experience with him. So if you will, if you've got your phone or you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 23. I'm going to start at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. 
But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, listen to the repentance. Listen to the repentance right here in verse 42. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said in verse 43, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So this criminal is repenting because he sees Jesus for who he is. He sees Jesus for who he is. He recognizes that Jesus has a kingdom that is not of this earth. He recognizes Jesus for who he is. And this verse reminds me of, uh, I think it's, it's Romans 10, 9 through 10, that says there's really two stipulations to being a Christian. It's uh, if you believe and confess with your mouth. That's it. And that's exactly what this criminal did. He confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, and he believed. He knew. That's true repentance right there. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. And we are going to start in verse 28. You all know this story. And uh, there's so many different applications of this story. Um, what I want to focus in on is, is, is yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's, let's do it. All right. Let's, we're going to focus in on what happens at the end of the passage. <coughs> passage where, uh, where Jesus walks on water. I'm going to set the, uh, um, the disciples are out. Jesus has told them to go on out to the other side, and he'll join them. And so in the middle of the night, Jesus is walking out to them on the water, and the disciples, well, they're a little confused, I think. They're waking up, you know, rubbing their eyes, and uh, they see Jesus, but they confuse him with a ghost, right? Y'all are familiar with this story. They say, oh, it's a ghost, you know? That's their first reaction. That'd probably be my reaction, too, if I'm being honest. I'd, I'd say it's a ghost. Um, and so Jesus approaches, says, fear not, it's me. That Man, Jesus loves to say fear not. God loves that tiny little phrase. It's littered throughout the entire Bible. You guys know it's, it's in there 365 times, and there's 365 days of the year, one day, fear not, every day. You know. um, so... So Peter reluctantly goes out. He's walking on water. He starts to sink. Jesus grabs his hand, pulls him up. The part I want to focus in on is verse 32. So this is Matthew chapter 14, verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So what happened first is my question. Did, did the wind and the waves cease after they repented? Or did the wind and the waves cease before they repented? Really, truly think about that for a second. They saw God one way. They saw him as a ghost. He stepped into the situation and brought peace to everything. And that's when they were able to see him for who he truly was. 
God is making situations in our life better by, by uh, us when we allow him to step in. And he's not, he's not withholding his presence from us. We can keep him out of situations. We're in control. We can keep him out of situations by saying, I'm too focused in on myself. I, I, I don't want you in this, in this part of my life. But the moment, and he's trying to. He's trying to get in. He wants to get in the boat with us. But we have to let him. We have to let him come in the boat. Because once he does, he brings peace. He brings peace. The waves and the winds, they ceased once he stepped in the boat. And that was when clarity came to the disciples and they were able to see him for who he truly was. Here's, here's the other thing. I'm sorry, just going back to the criminal on the cross. You're told growing up so many times that, um, that there's certain stipulations, certain stipulations to uh, receiving Christ. And I, this is why I love the, the, the passage of the criminal on the cross. He wasn't, he wasn't baptized. He didn't go to Bible study. He didn't go to youth camp. He wasn't in the choir. You know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a volunteer in, in kids' church. He recognized Jesus for who he was, and that, that's all it took. What did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in my kingdom. He didn't say, it's too late for you, pal. You didn't do this, this, and that. Like, it's, no incredible mercy and grace in that moment for him to say, yeah, you recognize me for who I am. You see me for who I am. Today we'll be together in the kingdom of heaven. The story of the prodigal son, and this is, it's funny because as a parent, you expect your child's repentance to, to look a certain way when they're fighting. But uh, sometimes when they're, and they'll apologize you know, just be more of a, uh, like a, like a fleshly repentance. Like you're just saying what you feel like you got to say to make sure things are, are good. But true repentance, true changing of your mind starts with when you see Jesus completely different. All right, we're moving into, uh, to listening. This is big. This is big. All right, get ready. Everybody say listening. Listening. listening, yeah, all right. Revelation starts with listening. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 17. Starting in 1. Oh, this is good. The Lord was giving me some of this stuff yesterday while Bethany was cleaning her car. I was just sitting in a chair reading. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is good. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, not helping you clean the car. That's what's good. <laughs> All right. This is a transfiguration. Uh, Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking. Okay, I recognize that. Jesus is transfigured in front of them, and he starts to speak with Moses and Elijah, and Peter's first thought is, I'm going to get busy. 
I'm gonna get busy. I'm gonna build this guy a tent and this guy a tent. You get a tent and you get a tent and you get a tent, you know? He starts working. Jesus, if you want, I can build this. We could set up like a fruit table over here and we can do some meats on this table. And he was still speaking, okay? This is uh, verse five. He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Three words right here. Listen to him. What was Peter doing? Peter was talking. He was, he was yapping. And what does God say? In a kind way, God says, shut up. <laughs> He's just like, zip it. Zip it. Listen. Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah, and you're, you're talking. I can just see like Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah in deep conversation, and Peter just comes up, and he's like, hey, to interrupt, but uh, like that's those moments where you just need to you know, sit there and listen. Listen to the conversation. Observe it. So, he, so God says, listen to him. Just three words. My beloved son, listen to him. That's, that's the charge. That's the charge right there he gives Peter, James, and John. And this is incredible. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. Where have we seen that? Have no fear. Fear not before. Who says that? Jesus, God, God says that. We just said it a minute ago, 365 times. Fear not, okay? That's something that God says. Verse 8, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. Jesus is saying the exact same thing that God says. It's symbolic. They look up. The message that God has been on 1027. That one's easy. Uh, if you're at, take courage or take encouragement in the fact that if you are his sheep, then you hear his voice and you hear it better than you think you do. Anybody know how uh, noise canceling headphones work? This is it drowns out everything around it. It drowns out all the noise around it. Noise canceling headphones. I'm not talking about the stuff you put over your ears, but I'm talking about the ones you put in your ears. Apple specifically, AirPods. You click a button, what it does is it has a microphone and it sends out a low frequency that interacts with the incoming frequency to combat it. And so it's kind of a weird concept thinking to make something noise canceling, it sends out a quiet frequency to combat the incoming noise. Uh, let me get super spiritual on you for a second. Um, I Praying in tongues, it's not everybody does it, and not everybody has to do it. But the way I see it is, it is a benefit. It is an added benefit. And I think of that noise, that noise going out when you're praying in the Spirit as that low frequency that helps block the incoming noise. And like I'm, I'm saying, you don't, have to, you don't have to pray in the Spirit. I like to pray in the Spirit because uh, I'm lazy. And I don't like to think of words. I'm just, sometimes it's just easier. 
I'm just like, Lord, thank you for this day. I'm tired. Here we go. Shut up. <laughs> I hope that joke is okay. No, but there is some truth to it. Sometimes it's just so you get caught up in what you're trying to say. And you stumble over what you're trying to say and you're reaching for different words. It's just so easy when you're praying in the spirit, you can just let go, sit back. And if you don't know how to do it and you want to do it, there's a lot of people here that will help you walk through the steps of doing it. And I myself, uh, I, I, I never thought about doing it. And it's a lot easier and not as mystical as some churches have built it up to be. Right. It's a lot more practical and a lot easier. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> Don't leave home without it, yeah. So now we're going to go to Luke 10. Luke 10. And we're going to be in verse, let me see here. 38, starting in 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened, listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha kind of sounds like Peter, yeah? She's trying to get busy doing something trying to get busy doing something. Um, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister, tattletale alert, has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, Jesus entering this house and uh, Martha immediately wanting him to kind of mediate, uh, you know, her interaction with her sister. Telling on her and then getting the Lord to tell her what to do. But uh, this is verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Just one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. That one thing that's necessary, Mary is doing. She's sitting there and she's listening. Sitting there and listening to Jesus' teaching. So Revelation starts with listening. I can't encourage you enough to just spend time, spend time alone with God and, and listen. You don't have to say anything. Uh, you don't have to think anything. You just, just posture your heart in a way where you're ready to receive. Uh, I do it in my truck. I don't have a radio. Um, and uh, I really do think it's just a fuse that I need to replace, but I don't, I don't want to replace it because I like drives in the morning, yes. just sitting and listening. And something happened when, when uh, I experienced Jesus for the first time six years ago. That seat always felt empty on the way to work, and so I felt like I needed to fill the car with noise. Wow. And then when I experienced Jesus, I, I'm never alone. Wow. I'm never alone in the morning. I know he's sitting right there. And uh, he's got his hand on my shoulder as I'm driving, reminding me not to speed. Um, <laughs> to turn my brights off when oncoming traffic is coming. Um, but you're never alone. He's always listening, and he's always speaking. 
You just tune your heart to that frequency and you can hear him better than you think you can. Identity. And like I said, this is, this is review. I'm so honored to be in a room of like-minded people who, who know these things. And I just want to encourage you to, uh, to think about these. So we're going to talk about identity. Knowing who you are because of God, because of how God sees you. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to start in one, or verse 1. This is the for this in, in chapter 3. Chapter 3 says, A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Hold on to that thought in your mind. God just told Jesus, You're my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That is your identity. You're my beloved Son. Immediately, we go into the temptation of Christ. All right, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) I'd be hungry after hour three. Uh, And the tempter came to him and said to him, here's that question, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, it's an identity-based question. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. God just told Jesus, you're my son, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. And the first thing the enemy does is try and get Jesus to prove himself by doing something. Jesus, I know your father said that 40 days ago, but things have probably changed. It's been 40 days and you're really hungry, if you're God's son, just turn those stones into bread. And Jesus could have done it. He could have done it right then and there. He could be like, yeah, I am God's son. Here, let me do it. Like, I'll prove to you, I'll prove to you that I'm God's son. You don't have to prove to anybody that you're God's son or God's daughter. If he has said, you are my son, you are my child, you don't have to prove it to anybody. Now, What does Jesus do? In verse 4, But he answered, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy. That's uh, chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. Read this. This is good. So Jesus, his biggest defense, his first move when being tempted is to respond with his Father's words. His Biggest defense is to respond with Scripture. And it's consistent. It's consistent. The devil then tempts him. This is verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, there's that question again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands, they will bear you up, let you... Lest your foot be striked against a stone. Jesus said to him, verse 7, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6. He's responding with the the words of his father. He's responding with scripture. The the devil again, in verse 9, says, I will give you all of these if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus says, You shall not worship the Lord your God 
and him only shall you serve. That's Deuteronomy 6 as well. So Jesus is responding with Scripture. The devil, man, the, the devil's not doing anything new here. He's not, this is, this, this same thing happens in Genesis 3 when he comes to Eve in the garden. God has set it up in a particular way for union to be achieved, for union with God to be achieved, and they already have it. They already have union with God. And the devil convinces Eve that they don't have union with God and that if they just did this one thing, then, then they would be able to see and be like God. And that's the same thing he's saying to Jesus. You have to do something in order to prove yourself. And he tries to convince you that you're in lack or that you need something or you have to do something in order to get it. Now I'm going to tell a story about a good friend of mine, Mr. Travis McDaniel. You all know Travis? Oh yeah. He's a good man, that Travis McDaniel. In this story, he represents the devil, though. <laughs> Travis uh, went home and visited his folks a couple weekends ago and uh, went fishing on his family's pond. And he caught this big old bass. And he's reeling it in, and he's fighting it, and it's fighting back and pulling, and he's finally got it up to the shoreline. And was it your, your brother-in-law, Travis? Brother-in-law grabbed the, the line, and the tension just snapped the line. And he lost this big old bass, but it, the bass was laying there on the shore, exhausted. It was in the water, just barely in the water, just laying there exhausted. And so Travis just jumps in and gets it, pulls it out. He sent me this picture. He's absolutely soaking wet. And I was like, is that sweat or water? Whatever it is, you're going to need a shower off after that. <laughs> so he got, this, he got this fish, and I was like, that is a wild story, man. But it got me thinking, that fish was completely free. But it was so exhausted from fighting the entire time, it didn't even know it was free. Jesus has set you free. There's no reason, there's no reason to go back and fight. He sets you free. And a lot of times, people will focus on their fight for freedom rather than knowing that they're already free. You're free. That's the, that's the best news I can give you this morning. For freedom, you've been set free. What reason? Why have we been set free? To be free. To be free and experience life and enjoy life the way God designed, uh, you do not have to go back focus on. And so if you're more sin in your life, if you focus on that sin doesn't look good anymore. Doesn't look, God says that I'm going to put a new heart in you, a heart of flesh to replace your heart of stone. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to desire and want to follow after my statutes. And that's true. You focus on your freedom, that sin, that temptation, it's, it doesn't carry the same... Uh, desire. It doesn't carry the same satisfaction. You, you want to leave it alone. You've got to understand that you're free. You've got to understand that you're free. So, he, so Jesus is, is tempted three different times, and he responds with the Word of God each time. He responds with who he sees himself to be, through who his father called him. And that number three is, uh, it, it carries significance throughout the entire Bible. 
And um, there's another story of a man later in Matthew who, who denied Christ three times. And uh, that's the story of Peter, as you all know, three separate times. Three separate times, people tried to link Peter to Christ. I mean, the significance of it is wild. They're trying to link Peter's identity with Christ's identity. You know this man. You're one of his disciples. You're one of his students. You are linked to this man. And what does Peter do? He says, I've ne- I, I don't know that man. I've, I've never seen that man before in his life. Peter is separating his identity from Christ's. The exact opposite of what Christ did with his father. The exact opposite. Satan says, if you're God's son, then do this. Jesus says, I'm already linked with the father. I'm already linked with the father. And then these people say, hey, you're linked with Jesus. And Peter says, nope, I'm not. I'm not. It is so important. It is so important to understand who you are. And, and, and you see that in Scripture. You see that in what God says about you. Get in the Word. It's a completely different ball game. Growing up, people should on you all the time. They do. Pardon my language. They'll take a should on you. You should spend time with God. You should, you should pray and read your Bible more. You should memorize such and such verses a day. That's a lot. That's a lot. But the difference is when you experience Jesus, you understand now that those aren't stipulations. They're benefits. They are benefits. That's a mature believer will see those things as not I should, but I want to. Like, I, I want to. I want to. Re- like, when I experienced Jesus, the scriptures started jumping off the pages. It was, it was before where I was reading black letters and I was reading red letters and I was looking, you know, down at it. But then once I experienced God and knew everything he'd done for me, those, those letters started popping off the page and I read them in a different way. I saw them in a different light. You have to understand that who you are is written all in Scripture, all in Scripture, God speaks to you. He speaks to your spirit, to your soul, and it's all in Scripture. And you have to see your value. You have to see your value as a child of God. It's important. I, uh, one of our favorite pastors, Jeff Van Vondren, uh, I'll share a story. I know we've all done this before. He picks up a drink. And, what is this? I don't even know what this is. He looks at the price tag and goes, oh, that's 70 bucks. That's what that is. And he puts it back, you know, and somebody else comes in and uh, picks up that same trinket and goes, oh, man, this is only 70 bucks. I'm getting this. Who decided, who decided the value of that little trinket? The person that purchased it did, right? The person that bought that that said, this is worth my time, they're the ones who decided what the value of that was. You... You have to understand your value. You have to understand that Jesus, that God saw his son as as the price to get you. 
You will never understand how valuable you are unless you look at Jesus as your sacrifice and say, God did that for me. I'm his child. He wouldn't wouldn't send his son to the cross just just to get worms, you know, just to get worthless creatures. He sees something in you that you don't even see yourself. And when, when you connect with God and come into union, he will reveal your value to you. In closing, I want to talk about this. This is my, this is my, um, my verse for the summer. And um, it's John 17.3. Uh, and I love this verse. I absolutely love this verse. I'm just going to read it real quick. John 17, 3, and this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We live, we live in a world today that tells you that eternal life is a destination and a time, and it's not here yet. It's when you die. That's when eternal life begins. I got news for you. That's when eternal life begins for your body. But for your soul and your spirit, if you know Jesus, that's eternal life. And that started when you said yes to Jesus. How incredible is that? Eternal life started when you said yes to Jesus. Your body's not going to last forever. It's got to be made new again. And that's what's going to happen. But your spirit and your soul are living in an eternal state right now. That's, that's, that's the truth of it. My mom and I were talking, and she's, um, she's well, I don't want to say how old you are, especially if you're watching, Mom. She's a very wise lady, and uh, <laughs> she's not yet retired, but she could be. Um, she's, she's a teacher, and one of the things I love about my mom is, uh, I hope I got brownie points by not mentioning her age. <laughs> But uh, she always asks me questions, and I'm so humbled because um, she's finishing school at Oxford, and she's, she's the headmaster and principal at a, at, a, at a school, and she's always asking me questions, you know, telling me, I want to learn, I want to learn, and I'm just so humbled. But we, we had this conversation uh, a few weeks ago, and I wrote this to her in a text because she shared her, her summer verse with me which I'll share with you guys at the end because uh, it's super awesome and relevant. But, uh, but I shared this with her about John 17, 3. As a believer, Jesus lays out what eternal life is, to know him and the Father. If we know him with not just a head knowledge, but also a heart and experiential knowledge, we can begin to experience what eternal life looks like. Our soul dictated by what our senses describe. So why let them, it is the spirit that gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The carnal-minded lives from the flesh, waiting for a better day when eternity comes. But the spirit-minded knows it has come. Because when we met Jesus, our eternal life began. Amen. And here's the cool bonus that God throws in there. When your inner man or woman is at peace, that will manifest outwardly, bringing peace to those senses that often lead us astray because of lack and because of disease. 
God's will for us on earth is to experience the kingdom coming. And when you live like this, you surely can. We, uh, the boys did VBS this past week, and we went to the, uh, I guess, the ending ceremony. And uh, I feel like there's so many churches that are preaching as the, the cross is here, and you keep coming back to the cross, right? It's, it's all right, your, your Sunday mornings are the gospel, which is great, but then you leave, and then next week, it's the gospel again, and then next week, it's the gospel again. And don't get me wrong, the gospel is awesome. The gospel is great. That's the good news of Christ, and we need that. But they preach it in a way like you have to keep getting it. And there's, the way I see it is, now we get to experience life on the other side of the cross. Because that's what Jesus paid for. Amen. We're not living our life stepping back, then stepping forward, stepping back, then stepping forward. We get to live a life where we continue moving forward, right? Amen. Eternal life is now. What Jesus paid for you to have, you can experience now. Not just in your spirit and soul, but it will manifest outwardly in your bodies. And it's so weird because a lot of people will see this as a, a prosperity gospel. And you can say that. I really have no other way to, to, to phrase it. It is a prosperity gospel, I guess, because you can, you can have eternal life and you can live in it now. And it, it's not in the, the greasy grace kind of like, well, we don't even think about our problems and we don't even... No, in light of our problems, we consider God. In light of our, our problems... We, we allow him to give us wisdom through the Holy Spirit. He, he gave us a cheat code. He gave us a cheat code to life. It's incredible. You're facing a problem. It's not like God doesn't know what that's like. Jesus became like us in every way, tempted and tried, Hebrews says. That, that reminds me of a story, and then I'll close. Um, and this one's about my dad. On Father's Day, so, uh, but when I was, I think, five or six, I went on a mission trip with him, kind of a tag along. He was leading a mission trip to Mexico, and uh, my siblings were with my mom. Uh, they stayed here in Georgia, and I went with my dad, and while he was working, I was playing with the local kids, and I'm sure that somebody told me not to drink the water, but uh, <laughs> I was thirsty. <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, they were kids just like me, you know, so they're drinking from the hose. So I go over and I start drinking from the hose and, and my dad sees me out of the corner of his eye and runs over and, uh, <laughs> and he looks at me and he's looking at the hose and this water's shooting out of this hose and looking at me, looking at the hose and, and he drinks the water too. And, uh, we'd both get just terribly sick. We both get terribly sick. I vividly remember just sleeping on this tile bathroom floor with a, with a curtain for a stall door. And me and Dad, I just remember a blanket, the tile floor. I mean, why? You know? Obviously, he knew. And he said, uh, he said, if you were going to go through it, I was, was going to go through it with you. Wow. And... Um, that was the first real picture of Jesus I ever, I ever experienced. And that's who Jesus is. He stepped down 
into our mess with us. And then he elevated us out of it, stayed there, and then rose victoriously. If you will, just, just close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a minute. I'm going to read this verse, and I, I really just want you to, uh, to use the magnifying glass of your heart. I want you to, I want you to take that magnifying glass off of, off of any problems, uh, off of any stresses, off of any struggles, and I want you to put it on Jesus. Put that magnifying glass on Jesus. What happens is everything about Jesus becomes bigger in your perception. You see him clear. You see angles that you've never seen before. And your problems get smaller. I want to encourage you today to just magnify Christ this week. Remember what he's done for you. Change your mind. Change the way you see things. Listen to him. Remember your identity and remember that eternal life has started. I'm going to read this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is verse 8. And God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Amen.